Hello and welcome to another episode of One Geek's Opinion. I'm your host, Geek Will, and first I must apologize for taking last week off. I got caught up with work, I got distracted, I started procrastinating, then I started eating, then sleeping, then sleeping more. So, yeah, my apologies. I will endeavor to make sure it doesn't happen again. Which may probably mean that it'll happen again next week. Sorry. Anyway, today I'll be diverting attention away from Mega Man to talk about a video game that I feel doesn't get enough love. In 1999, the game company known as Enix, which would later be bought and absorbed by then-known Squaresoft, creating the video game fusion called Square Enix, published a little game called Valkyrie Profile. Developed by Tri-Ace, Valkyrie Profile deals heavily in Norse mythology. The entire plot of the game centers around the Aesir, the gods of Valhalla, preparing for Ragnarok, the War of the Gods. The game takes place in Midgard, where the Valkyrie named Lenith searches the realm of humans for suitable souls of fallen warriors who would be beneficial for the gods. That's... pretty much the plot of the game. I will admit, the game itself doesn't have much of a plot. The only time a plot is really introduced is near the end of the game, but only if you take the necessary measures to ensure you get the canon ending. Oh yeah, before I forget, this game has three possible endings. I'll get to that in a minute. I need to go over some things first before I properly explain the endings. In this game, you play as Leneth, the Valkyrie in question. Leneth acts as a servant to the Allfather of the Aesir, Odin. Odin tasks Leneth with collecting Einherjar, the souls of warriors fallen in battle, to serve as the army for the gods against the Frost Giants, the Vanir. When in the world of man, Midgard, Leneth doesn't walk, but flies through the skies, and when a location is selected, Usually by placing Leneth above the location in question, and then selecting it, she'll fly down to the area where the gameplay changes from a 3D style to a 2D style. I should know that this is a sprite-based game, but in the 3D section, you can actually move around the world. When flying, she'll be in the center of the screen, and when moving, she'll go wherever she wants. Forward, back, up, down, left, right. However, when in a town slash dungeon slash location, Leneth goes all Mega Man on us and can only move on a 2D plane. There are doors or portals in these areas that are in the foreground or background, creating a more expanded area for Leneth to explore. When in dungeons, there are several things that are available for Leneth. Leneth can swing her sword to affect certain aspects of the dungeons. Usually these are for puzzle solving, and when a puzzle is solved, Leneth will get bonus experience points that can be stored and then distributed at a later time. Very handy. Leneth can also shoot these little lights that when hitting a surface, creates a crystal that Leneth can then stand on. Hitting the crystal with a light again makes the crystal bigger, and hitting it a second time breaks the crystal. Though, if the crystal is hit a second time high up on a wall, the destruction will create a slowly descending shelf of crystals that Leneth can stand on. Using this will help Leneth reach places she normally can't. And, if Leneth destroys a crystal with a second shot while she is standing near it, she will be pushed back by the effect of it. Very handy. Now, for the enemies. This game does not have random battles. Instead, the enemies are physically in the dungeon moving around. They have their own unique models. If one touches Leneth, that initiates a battle. However, if Leneth strikes an enemy with her sword, that will allow the party a chance for a preemptive strike. Or... 
if you don't want to bother with a fight, hitting the enemy with the crystal shot will freeze it temporarily, allowing Leneth to stand on it with no problem. When in a battle, it's very much turn-based. You fight, the enemy fights, then you fight again, and on and on it goes. But how does one fight, you may be asking? By way of a menu to select your next move? No, it's a little more different than that. Instead of selecting from a menu, your characters are assigned to the face buttons on the PlayStation controller. Square, Triangle, Circle, and X. Leneth is automatically set to the square button, putting her in the front of the party. And if you have a long-range character, it's more beneficial to place them on the circle button, putting them in the back of the party. There is a menu to use in battle, which will allow you to use items, skills, spells, or run away from the fight. Each character can attack a certain amount of times, but that is dependent on the weapon they are using at the moment. The maximum amount of attacks they can have in one turn is 3, and when you begin the game, you're going to be using weapons that only give one-hit attacks. As for weapons, there are swords, spears, katanas, greatswords, bows and arrows, staves, and scepters. Anyone who uses a certain type of weapon cannot use another weapon type, with the exception of Leneth, who can use swords and bows. However, there is some nuance to this. For example, if a character uses a great sword, he can also use a normal sword. But a guy who uses a normal sword cannot use a great sword. And there are some weapons that can only be used by certain people. You collect these when you revisit their towns after you get them as party members. Now, there are abilities that can be learned, such as first aid, which at higher levels will not only increase the probability of one party member healing another injured member, but also how much is healed. These abilities, or skills, can be learned by finding tomes that teach the skill and then using the tome in the item menu. The skill is learned by all members that Leneth has gathered. Magic spells are the same. Mages can use spell attacks either as their standard attack or by selecting the spell from the battle menu, along with other spells that help improve their allies' performances. Now there are these special attacks that can be executed by the party members when a gauge is filled. After a party attack turn is complete and the gauge is filled, the text, Purify Weird Soul appears with the face buttons, Triangle, Circle, X, and Square appear. Pressing a face button will have the character located on that button execute a powerful and visually cool looking attack. These are the final strikes. When using these attacks, the gauge that was filled when normally attacking will again be filled up when using a final strike attack, allowing you to use another attack right afterwards. However, not all attacks fill up the gauge with the same amount, and the gauge itself will become more depleted. So it helps to know how many times an attack hits an opponent, giving you the opportunity to have all party members attack in one go. However, for magic users, after they use their great magic attack, they'll have to wait a while for the magic to recharge, so you won't be able to use their attack multiple times in a row. Shame, but it has to be balanced somehow. Now, Leneth can acquire up to 21 Einherjar Warriors, but only on hard mode. With these party members, Leneth, or you the player, depending on how immersed you are in the game, have two options before you slash her. Keep the fighters, or send them to Valhalla. Sending an Einherjar Warrior to Valhalla will help you gain favor with Odin, allowing you to continue working to get more warriors. However, that robs you of a character who can help you in the more dangerous aspects of this job. It also sucks if you have to send them away when they're at such a high level. You lose a valuable warrior. That being said, 
there are two characters who cannot be sent to Valhalla, the warrior Arngrim and the sorceress Mystia. I feel like this gives you two permanent members for the sake of helping you in making a party, but at the same time, it limits who you should have in your party that you're comfortable with. Though, if I'm being honest, at the end of the game, I always have those two in my party, mainly because I've had them for some time, and not only are they high level, but I also know how their attacks work. Now, I mentioned that there are multiple endings in this game. The good, the normal, and the bad ending. To get the bad ending, you basically have to lose favor with Odin, who will then send Freya, a guest party in the beginning, who serves as a tutorial guide for the first dungeon, to basically nuke you out of existence. I'm not kidding. Freya's weapon is pure energy, and her attacks hit multiple times for a lot of damage. This is a fight you cannot win. To lose favor, keep warriors for yourself, and at the end of dungeons, after you beat the boss, you can acquire these treasures that you can send to Odin. Eventually, you'll be given these items to help you in your quest, but you can opt to take them now, damn what Odin thinks. Now you may be thinking, how do I then get the other endings? To get the normal ending, just play the game, don't bother with a guide. When Ragnarok happens, you'll then have one final dungeon to go through, the Fortress of the Frost Giants, and the end boss of that ending is the head frost giant himself, Surt. To get the good, canon ending, you will need a guide to help you. I mean it, there is a lot that goes into the good ending that you need to know. A guide will help. As I mentioned, this game doesn't really have a plot until later in the game, where Lenneth will meet a man named Lucian, who eventually becomes a Nine Harriar for her to get. Lucian sees Lenneth, and thinks that she's a friend from his childhood, Platina, who died as a kid. Sending him to Valhalla triggers a cutscene where he reveals his and Platina's childhood. They were poor and impoverished. Her parents were planning to sell her into slavery, and hearing this, they both decided to run away. However, they run into a valley where a poisonous flower is found, and Platina dies. It is eventually revealed that when a Valkyrie is not in use, they are reincarnated in human form, their soul on standby until the gods need them. Platina was Lenneth's human alter ego. Her hair gives it away. You'll find out why. There's a mechanic called the seal rating, where Lenneth will uncover more and more of her human emotions and memories as she interacts with the human souls she collects or when certain events are triggered. The gods also gave her a ring, the Nibelung ring, for her to wear. This ring suppresses her humanity, ensuring that she remains loyal to the gods. If you want the good ending, take that ring off immediately. Anyway, Lucian is sent to Valhalla, but he can't stop thinking about Lenneth. So, Loki decides to take him to the water mirror, which he can then use to contact Lenneth. When he does, he shows her an earring that he gave to Platina, saying that Lenneth will know where to find it. However, Lenneth rebukes Lucian, saying that a mortal using a tool of the gods is shameful. They break contact, and when Lucian wasn't looking, Loki stole a MacGuffin called the Dragon Orb, which he uses to power himself up and kill Lucian. He then blames Lucian for the theft of the orb. When Lenneth goes to the Weeping Lily Valley, the same valley where Platina died, she then finds the grave of Platina and remembers her past as a human. This can only be triggered if Lenneth's seal rating is low enough. When this scene is triggered, Odin and Freya then activate their contingency plan, awaken Lenneth's sister, Hrist. The dark-haired Valkyrie then takes over Lenneth's body, but Argrim and Mystia want no part of her company. However, they are saved by an unlikely character. Over the course of the game, Lenneth will meet two characters, one of which is Lizard Valeth, a dark mage who is obsessed 
with Lanith, to the point where he made homunculi bodies in Lanith's image for her soul to inhabit. It should be noted that this guy also acquired the Philosopher's Stone, the source of unlimited knowledge, which he used to create the homunculi bodies for Lanith and himself, which he now inhabits. In short, he's not a good guy, being a boss in this dungeon, and is a pervert. Lizard comes in, collects the fragments of Lena's soul, and uses a homunculus child Mystia took to research as a vessel for the soul fragments. Arngrim, Mystia, and Lazar then track down Hriss to the Vampire Lord's castle. Another character that Lenneth meets is Brahms, the Lord of the Undead. A vampire who stands in opposition of Odin and the gods for their mistreatment of the mortals in Midgard. He also has in his possession the soul of another Valkyrie, the sister of Lenneth and Hrist, Silmeria. He uses Silmeria as a catalyst to ensure that Midgard does not fold in on itself, a job which was done by the Dragon Orb. And remember, the Aesir have the Dragon Orb. Huh. It's revealed that Hrist isn't at full power, because she woke up too soon, and thus she's no threat to the combined might of Brahms, Arngrim, Mystia, and Lazard. When Hrist is defeated, they collect the rest of Lenneth's power, and then place it all into the homunculus body. Reformed and in a body that is both human and half-elf, thus allowing her to grow stronger as a result, Lenneth reclaims Lucian's second earring, and they all go off, sans Lazard and Brahms, to Asgard. Arriving in Asgard, they realize Loki has begun his revolt against Odin, using the dreaded beasts, the wolf Fenrir, and the dragon Bloodbane. One quick speech about how the gods suck because they thought they were so much better than the mortals, yet act so incredibly petty in turn, we go off onto the final level of the good ending. Asgard. The final boss is Loki, who not only one-hit kills the Iron Harriar, but all of Midgard as well. However, this only serves to awaken Zelenith's true power, the power of creation, which restores everything Loki destroyed. After he's defeated, Lenneth is reunited with Lucian, and they live happily ever after. Until the sequel slash prequel. Now, you may be thinking, wow, that was fun. A shame that's it, huh? Well, not exactly. You see, there is a bonus dungeon that is unlocked when you use the final save point in the game. But you can't leave the final dungeon, so where could it be? You access it via the title screen. A new option you see on the title screen is an option called Seraphic Gate. This is a bonus dungeon, which takes the save data from the final save point and transfers that data into a new save file. In this dungeon you will find several powerful weapons, many tough enemies to grind experience from, and three new party members to get. These three new members are Freya, Lizard, and Brahms. That's right, you get these three guys again to help you in this bonus dungeon along with equipment that helps them out, and only them. These things, equipment and characters, are locked behind doors that can only be opened with certain items called Flame Jewels. All the Flame Jewels can only be found on hard mode in the main game storyline. Well, that sounds amazing! Can't wait to use them on Loki, huh? Well, here's the thing. You can transfer data from the main storyline to the Seraphic Gate to use your party there, but it's a one-way thing. You can't use the data from the Seraphic Gate in the main storyline. It sucks, but it makes sense. You only have one boss left, who's only like one screen away from the last save point. Not much use for anything you get in the bonus dungeon. Of that being said, you do have several bonus bosses to go through in the Seraphic Gate, three of them being Freya, Brahms, and Lazard. Gotta beat them before you get them. The last two bonus bosses are the main inhabitants of the gate, 
Gabriel Celeste, and the Iceria Queen. They are the hardest bosses in the game, but knowing how the abilities, skills, and gameplay mechanics work, you can tough it out. When defeating the Iceria Queen, you acquire the Angel Slayer, the most powerful weapon for Lenneth. However, to get this item, you need to beat the Iceria Queen at least nine times. And when you finally get the weapon, you don't really have any need for it. You can't use it in the main game, and you don't really feel like the need to go through the game for a tenth time, right? It's more of a bragging's right reward. Not really all that useful. So, with that being said, I really enjoy this game. I don't think it gets enough love as it is, and I would love to see another installment of the Valkyrie Profile title. I've played two, and I will talk about that, but I haven't played Covenant of the Plume. That one flew under my radar, I'll admit. I've also played Lightning Returns Final Fantasy XIII, which was developed by Tri-Ace, and it shows that they really wanted to make another Valkyrie Profile game. Can't blame them, really. This series is awesome. While it doesn't really have much in the way of story, the game has a unique gameplay feel that helps to counter the lack of a story, with the dungeons being one of the most interesting aspects. They range from a sunken cave, to abandoned labs, to an elf-inhabited forest, to an out-of-nowhere futuristic tower. But the overall story isn't the main aspect, it's the characters you meet. Each one has their own story, which is shown to you as soon as you visit the town they live in, from a boy drafted in a war no one wanted, to a brother trying to cure his sister of blindness, to a petty thief and bounty hunter showing a rare moment of kindness. There is a side story featuring a group of knights that Arngrim used to hang out with, and in the end, all but one become Ein Herjar for Lenneth. The one who doesn't is just so overcome with despair and sorrow and grief that it may be more cruel to let her live, as she has suffered so much and lost so many of her friends. The gods are jerks, especially when in the end, they see humans as nothing more than cannon fodder, and while they may have some respect for Lenneth, to them, she's nothing more than a tool. Loki betraying them is more of a symptom of an overall problem, that the gods believe that they themselves are completely perfect, so long as they fit a certain mold. Loki being Loki, being half Aesir and half Vanir, it makes sense that he would rebel, as they treated him like crap, so his actions, while not justified, are understandable. You would want to get back at those who treated you like garbage. Though, taking it as far as cessation of existence may have just been a bit too far. Again, I love this game. It is definitely a classic in my eyes, and should be mandatory for everyone to play. Though you may have trouble finding a PS1 disc of it, the PSP version shouldn't be too much trouble to find. Though I find it heretical that it isn't available on PSN. Seriously, you aren't dropping the ball, you have to pick it up before you drop it. If you have a PSP, and can find a PSP version of it, excellent, play it and enjoy. If you can't find it, then bother Square Enix to put it online for sale. If you liked what you hear, please check me out on Twitter, Facebook, my personal website, and check out the audiobooks I've narrated on iTunes, Amazon, and Audible.com. Thanks for tuning in, and come back next time for some geeky opinions.